everyone. It is Monday, September 19th. It is West Virginia week. There is a trophy that we are bringing back to Blacksburg on Thursday night, 7.30 ESPN, under the lights in Lane Stadium. And we're rolling out the red carpet for the Sons of Saturday listeners this week. Uh, We got some special guests going on. We got some memories to talk about. We got a rivalry to talk about. And ultimately, we're going to have fun. So before we introduce our special guests here, got to give a big time shout out to our friends down at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. If you are going to the game this weekend, I guess we keep saying this weekend, the game is on Thursday. If you're going to the Thursday night football game in Blacksburg and you want to obtain a Beat West Virginia pin, Jeremy at the Main Street Pharmacy is giving out pins. He's got 500, the first 500 uh, Hokie students or Blacksburg residents or whoever's down there. Head on down there and pick yourself up a Beat West Virginia pin. They're going like hotcakes down there, but head on down to the Main Street Pharmacy where you, you are not a number. You are a neighbor. So we're going to do a little hokey haiku from Miles Hyder. Black Diamond Trophy. Welcome to the Terror Dome. It's time to come home. Here we go. A little rhyme there, too. So we're going to introduce our special guest. I'm looking at the uh, – so we don't do Zoom. We do StreamYard now. We've really leveled up in the Sons of Saturday software suite. And I'm looking at a wall filled with Hokie Stone and filled with Virginia Tech helmets and a big red-headed and red-bearded smiling face looking back at me. We have Shane Graham – Joining the show from Michigan, if you know Shane Graham, you know that he played in the NFL for 15 years. He kicked Virginia Tech over West Virginia in that famous 1999 season for the Hokies. That went to Virginia Tech from Pulaski. Uh, also spent some time as a special teams coach and is now the CEO of Elite Winning Solutions, LLC. Shane Graham, this has been a long time coming. Welcome to the Sons of Saturday. How the heck are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So you woke up on Sunday. You hit the alarm clock. It's West Virginia week. What's going through Shane Graham's mind, Shane Graham's mind during West Virginia week? (laughs) Well, you know, the memories are very strong with with that game and that rivalry. Um. You know, it's a shame that we, we kind of lost that year-to-year connection we had. Uh, I really did enjoy that because even, you know, when I was playing, you know, there were certain games I really tried to do my best to watch, and obviously that was one of them. But, um, you know, I, I'm excited because I'm coming home for this game, and I'll be in the stands and, um, you know, tailgating the full experience. You know, I've never really – had a lot of chances to do that over the years uh, as a player. And then as a coach, even less even less chance to do it because I was always coaching a game the same time Virginia Tech was playing. So uh, this is exciting. I know my wife's excited. I'm excited. Uh, looking forward to seeing a lot of old friends and family. And, uh, you know, this is and, – and, and this game holds a special place in my heart just because of my memories of, of the last time I played against them as well. So West Virginia University comes to Blacksburg for the first time since 2004. And I went up there last year and everyone was like, Pat, like 
you better wear a helmet or, you know, <laughs> better uh, park your car in, in, a, in the woods, like way out of, of nowhere so you don't get your car keyed or your tires <laughs> flashed. And I was concerned. I had I had a VT sticker on my car that weekend and I went up there and was super kind of just like on edge the whole time, like thinking like, all right, like what's going to happen? And lo and behold, nothing, nothing happened to my car. Uh, nothing happened to my physical being. Everyone, uh, everyone from the most part from West Virginia, other than, you know, a, a, an occasional FU was welcoming and it was not what I expected now we're going to be hosting them, and I'm hoping that Virginia Tech is similarly hospitable towards the yeah. um, towards the West Virginia faithful. Now, now there used <laughs> to be, there used to be some some batteries and then the glass airplane liquor bottles. I know one year they were shaking. Uh, I think Miami they were playing Miami, and a player got hurt at the end of the game, and I think they were rocking the uh, ambulance before it could even get out. I mean, I've heard some stories, and actually, I, I went to the game in 2000 in West Virginia. Uh, I had recently got, I'd gotten cut. I did not make the NFL my first year, so I made a trip with some people up there. And, you know, the, the funny story from after that game, uh, Virginia Tech won that game, but <clears throat> the funny story was that, you know, we got, we got hassled and heckled a bunch while we were leaving by a bunch of drunk students and nothing really happened. A couple people got in people's faces. I think somebody had like a broom handle or a wiffle ball bat or something in their hand. But for some reason, like years later, when that story gets retold, we were being chased by torches and pitchforks and who knows what else. I don't know how the story <laughs> spun into that, but that's the way it's told now. We were chased out of there by torches and pitchforks. So, um, you know, it's, it's usually the stories get a little bigger, like a fish, you know, when you tell the story later on. But uh, a lot of great memories there uh, and, and, and looking forward to some really good memories this year, being able to enjoy it and, and get a win there as well. Yeah. You know, as a uh, as a lifelong Hokie, I always have known about this rivalry. And I guess, you know, 2003, 2004, those are the games that I can remember from my memory. You know, I was nine, 10 years old. And, 2005 as well. 2005 was a big win up there. Um, you, know, you had a nice touchdown from Eddie Royal. You had Marcus Vick, uh, you know, getting creative with some hand signals towards the uh, towards the West Virginia fans. But um, you know, this is a, a fantastic rivalry. This is a rivalry that Virginia Tech should be playing, you know, every year as frequently as possible. You know, I always think that you know either Virginia Tech West Virginia or Virginia Tech Tennessee should be you know two games that we see popping up on our yeah. schedule more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, being from Virginia, from Southwest Virginia, from Pulaski, what does this game mean to the folks in Southwest Virginia in particular? Well, you know, for me, being someone who's lived outside of the state of Virginia for so long, um, I have this really soft spot for the fact that everybody who's not from Virginia, when they know I'm from, when I say I'm from Virginia, at some point, it could be 30 minutes down the road. It could be 30 days. It could be two months. It could be three years. They go, oh, yeah, you're from West Virginia, right? And I'm like, no. Why, why do you think that? Like people just, for some reason, just add a whole extra word to it. And, and it's like, no, Virginia was actually first. That, you know, like, like 
they left and, and, and it was West Virginia and they're a whole separate people, you know, like it's a whole separate state. And, you know, like their culture's similar to where I'm from, you know, with the Appalachian, uh, you know, mountains, you know, not too far off from what Blacksburg is. Only, you know, a lot of West Virginia is much more secluded, harder to get to, you know, smaller roads, windy roads, all that kind of stuff. But um, I just I've always had that resentment for people that seem to just assume I'm from West Virginia. But people in Virginia would never do that. It's for some reason it's people from somewhere else always are like oh yeah you're from west virginia and i'm like no not no no i'm not <laughs> so so naturally that makes you hate west virginia even more it, it just adds a little bit of fuel just a little bit of fuel uh-huh no i know they don't like you up there either shane <laughs> um but uh so talk to me about morgantown because last year it was the first time i had ever gone up there and I've had family. So my mom's maiden name is Morgan. And there's probably three or four Morgans who have gone through West Virginia. So they were Morgans graduating in Morgantown. Um, and I was, I think I like went up to New Jersey for my mom's birthday. And then I drove to Morgantown from New Jersey and was just blown away by like this town of just how remote it was. It was in the absolute mid, like Blacksburg is a remote location. Penn state's remote, you know, Boone, North Carolina is remote. Morgantown is just like, you feel like you're in like a Disney park or something because of how like different it is. I don't know how to describe it, but like walking around, like seeing the incline of some of the streets, just the infrastructure, you're kind of scratching your head (laughs) at the same time. You're like, this is, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you even expect to hear banjos start playing out of the blue, I think, but, um, you know, but that's, that's part of the charm that, that, that I think makes that university just like us, you know, I think we're all proud of kind of being this school that's not on the edge of a big Metro city. And, you know, most of our alumni base for the, for the most part, probably gathers out of the the metro dc area the northern virginia maybe the charlotte area um and it's a five-hour drive you know for 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 people to get to our games whereas for them they probably have a similar thing you know people have to come from you know wherever they went off to i doubt a whole lot of people are from or stay in morgantown so there's some similarities when you look at it that way but you know, I, I can tell you that the pride that I have with Virginia Tech is is because it felt like home, even for so many people that came from such a different background before they got to Virginia Tech. They always look back with fond memories and and really kind of miss that small town feel, even when they move away, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're excited to get that small town feel uh, later this week when we go to Blacksburg. So I want to do an exercise here. When people think of – when Virginia Tech fans think of West Virginia, they think of Shane Graham. I want to know what Shane Graham thinks when you think of West Virginia as far as like what are the memories that you have outside of the kick, but any other specific memories that you had from either going up there or hosting West Virginia or you know going to games uh, or watching on TV as an alum. Well, th- there's a few, I guess. Uh, so, so first, <clears throat> there's been a couple kickers from my high school, Pulaski County, who played at Virginia Tech. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Uh, Chris Kenzer, who was an All-American mm-hmm. at Virginia Tech, and Mickey Thomas. So Mickey Thomas actually 
I think at one point had the record for the most field goals in a game for Virginia Tech, and he kicked six field goals against West Virginia at West Virginia. And I forget the year that this happened. Um, but, but that was something that I always knew about when I was in high school. And then one of my teammates, Randy Dunnigan, that I played with at Pulaski High School, Pulaski County High School, was an offensive lineman who started there for quite a long time. But the, the thing that, besides that game, besides the 99 game that stands out to me is we kind of took a shellacking in uh, 97 uh, at Morgantown. And the biggest memory I have from that game is, I guess I didn't pee at halftime. I don't know. <laughs> I had to pee so bad in the fourth quarter that it hurt to walk. And we got a touchdown. You know, we just we, we couldn't get anything done that day. I mean, I think we had less than 100 yards of offense or rushing or something. And it was bad. And all of a sudden, we get a touchdown towards the very end of the game. And I just remember, like, kicking that PAT, and it hurt so bad. And and I don't know if I can promise that I didn't uh, have something left over in my jot when that game was over because, <laughs> I mean, it hurt. And, and, and I'm not trying to be funny. It really hurt. And, uh, you know, that was just what I remember beside you know just having the cold chills from that feeling of like oh my god I can't hold it any longer and then having to go out on the field swing my leg torque my body kick the ball come back off the field and then wait for the game to be over uh it was miserable it was absolutely miserable <laughs> but you know it was all obviously made up for a couple years later when uh you know 99 I remember to pee at halftime and uh there were no issues Wow. So, so, uh, John Parker Romo, Joey Sly, William Ross, Brian Johnson, you know, any other former Hokie, uh, kickers listening to this, remember to pee at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. 97. So that was, that was, uh, Mark Bulger was the quarterback for West Virginia back then. Yes. Yes. Yep. yep. Okay. I got I actually you. told him that story. We, uh, we got to know each other, you know, years down the road, and I told him that story and had a little laugh over it. Yeah, I, I could see him uh, him enjoying that. So, um, <laughs> so when people think of when Hokie fans think of West Virginia, they think of Shane Graham. We're going to kind of pivot this around. What does what does Shane Graham think of the following schools? So we're going to jump in the time machine here to your experience playing these schools, um, and we're we're going to kind of stick to the Big East theme. Uh, with some uh, some Whoville references too, but um, what does Shane Graham think of the following schools? Miami, uh, undefeated. We never lost to them. That's good. Syracuse, uh, Paul Pascaloni, and that damn tight end throwback pass in '98. I have um, I had college football 2003. You know the. Uh, what was the EA Sports game? NCAA Football 2003, which is coming back next summer, apparently. Yeah. And I think yeah. it was either 2003 or 2004, and they would have, like, college classics mode. And, you know, you have, like, Choke at Doke. You have, like, the Holiday Bowl with BYU and SMU. And then one of the games on there was Donovan McNabb. You know, you line up on the 10 or whatever. 
five seconds left. And that would be on the college classics. I'm just like, are you kidding me? You know, we, uh, and I don't know, we needed a, a 99 Shane Graham kick, uh, on college classics. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, sorry, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I, I know that that, um, you know, I think I kicked like a 48 or 49 yarder to go up or or to make it where they had to score a touchdown versus a field goal to come back on us. <clears throat> and they drove down the field. They got, I think they even got like a fourth and something at some point to keep going. They get down there. Corey Moore sacks him and throws him down. He's Donovan McNabb is like taking his helmet off and puking on the mm-hmm. field. We end up calling a timeout. I think we were like ready for that play and just, you know, we we were on it. He wasn't like wide open, but just the the everything that went with you know him rolling out, throwing back across, uh, it, it was loud at many points of that game. And honestly, Syracuse has been the loudest stadium I've ever played in in my entire career. Uh, I heard rumors that they piped a microphone. A, look like little choir microphones hanging over the bleachers and that they pump speakers underneath of the, the openings underneath the bleachers. Cause it was like a, the bleachers were retractable, kind of like a basketball mm-hmm. stadium can have. And I always heard that rumor, but all I know is that the 52,000 people that sat in that carrier dome, when we played them, it hurt your ears. And I never found an NFL stadium I've never been in a college stadium. I've been in college stadiums as a coach in the SEC that had over 100,000 people, and they are not as loud. And that is the one thing I remember is how deafening loud it got after that catch. I can't even imagine. Do you think they're still doing that today, or do you think they, they cut that off? I, and it's, no, it's, I it's think good it, too. It, it, I, heard, I heard something about they got caught. I, I'm not really sure. I don't want to like throw accusations out there if it really wasn't true. But this was just things that, that you hear over time. And I don't know that they actually fill that place up anymore. So I don't know that it even has the same atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I like I like seeing Syracuse football start three, you know. You know, I think yeah. it's good for college football to see them yeah. succeed. You know, they had a very heroic uh you know hail mary type play well i don't know if you, you watched the game but um i know that purdue really shot themselves in the foot with a handful of penalties and they only completed one pass on the final drive um but still won the game but yeah um, <laughs> schrader looks good for syracuse and uh we'll see what happens with them i think yeah I'd, I'd like to see you know what i've always enjoyed seeing teams that we played against in the big east do well like uh, I think there was a few years back where Rutgers really was doing really well. And I was like so happy to see them do well because everyone always thought of them as a bottom feeder. Uh, seeing Syracuse, just knowing what they were able to do when they had Paul Pascaloni as the head coach and Donovan McNabb and, and so many good players that they had come out of that university. Um, you know, the Big East, I don't think gets enough credit for how good those teams were in there. You've always got your your top tier teams, but – the way you had us, Miami, uh, Syracuse, West Virginia, <clears throat> Pittsburgh at times, you know, there was some quality team. Boston College, mm-hmm. there were quality teams. And, you, and, yeah, you had some of the teams at the bottom that didn't necessarily, like, hold up their end of the bargain. But every conference has that. 
And, you know, it was always that, you know, the Big East couldn't hold them, hold a candle to the SEC or the Big Ten or whatever. And, you know, coaching in the Big Ten, coaching in the SEC compared to the ACC now, <clears throat> I'll agree, it's not the same. Like, there's, there's definitely a lot of parity between the top and bottom uh, between those different conferences. But when I see more teams do well, I like that because I want to see I want to see teams like not be looked at the way that they've been looked at in the past. I want to see the ACC be a strong team. Looks like I got a buddy down here. He just snuck in. Off. <laughs> Who's this? This is Toby. Say hi, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Toby. <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's like um, once the door was open on national recruiting and social media and all that, it kind of, you know, it, it was one of the prime examples of how, you know, a school like Boston College or Pitt, who's had success in um, Syracuse, you know, are going to lose the battle to yeah. SEC and Big Ten, um, okay. you know, and, and money too. But no, I'm totally with you there. You know, I want to see Boston. I want to see Boston College bring fans to Virginia Tech. I want to yeah. be able to go up there. I want to go to the Carrier Dome and be packed, you know. It, it's not. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, <laughs> I mean, and, and that's the thing is – it's so hard to do that now because you know, you know you throw NIL in there and that's just exponential. But you look at the fundraising that Alabama has, the fundraising that Texas A&M has, really Texas and Texas A&M, I think they're the two richest schools in college football um, from oil money and their alumni. But you look at the way that those schools are able to to bring money in to help with the expensive recruiting weekends to impress the recruits when they come in, the Taj Mahal facilities, the the stadiums with the LED light systems and the, you know, the the suites and all the things they're able to do. Um, it, it makes it tough. And and you know what though? We were always at a disadvantage at Virginia Tech. One, we were in the mountains. We didn't have a you know bright light city around us to bring in a certain you know person that likes that kind of stuff. You know, Miami had the yachts and the, the nightclubs and all that kind of stuff that you could get players to want to be a part of. But um, you want the player that wants to be there, and I think that's what's always worked for Virginia Tech is if if you have to convince a kid that the flash and all that, that we have it to get a kid to come there, then they're not coming for the right reason. And I think when you get someone to come to a small town school, that's the blue collar lunch pail, you know, uh, aura around it, then, then you get the right person. And those are the people that are going to buy into the system and and are going to be the ones that develop. And maybe they weren't a five-star but by the time they graduate, they're a potential NFL guy or whatever. And, you know, I think even if you look at the 99 team, you know, yeah, Michael Vick was highly recruited out of high school and we essentially stole him from Syracuse. But, you know, I, I don't know that we had a ton of super duper all America five star recruits out of high school on that team. I think we had a few. But I don't think we had like that loaded team that everyone, you know, expects to put those type of success out in their in their in their games. And we just developed guys that had the right attitude. We had the right chemistry and things just worked out. And I think the success that Tech had over the years, yes, it helped that they had recruiting because of the success. 
and maybe we were able to upgrade our facilities in a certain way. But, you know, now it's with Twitter and, you know, the money for the facilities and, you know, the, the way kids want attention on Twitter, you know, they're actually asking fans to show them love on Twitter. Like, I'm just not a fan of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and now you've got, you know, NIL, you know, if you, well, what kind of NIL deals can you get me? Because this school can get me this and this school, which technically is illegal. You're not allowed to use NIL as a conversation piece in recruiting, but everybody's doing it. And obviously if you have, you know, big time alumni with, with connections in a certain business, they can conveniently make those NILs available for players when honestly you have college teams getting more more NIL money than NFL players are getting getting NIL money. So mm-hmm. that tells you something. Yeah. Truly, yeah, truly has become the wild, wild west, you know. And uh, I think what we can do is just hope that there is some type of regulation that is brought in you know, that is able to level the playing field here at the same rate, you got the Sun Belt beating up on everyone. So, you know, maybe we're going to be fine after all. I, I, I can't tell you how happy I was to see that. No, nothing against Texas A&M, nothing against any of these other schools, but I like underdogs. And when I saw that happen, I was very happy to see it because it just goes to show that just because you have the nicest car, the nicest, house it doesn't mean you have the best life you know it's that's the analogy that i say and you know texas a&m can have the nicest house and have the nicest you know food coming into the house but the people that live in the house aren't always the happiest you know so you still got to play the game you still got to play with heart you still got to execute and i think that um you know I, i i just don't know that I, I don't know that it's something that can be consistent. I don't think teams are going to be able to do that all the time. But when you see it happen, especially like in one big clump in one weekend, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm excited to see what uh, what happens between now and the end of the year. Um, if there's any Sun Belt teams that are you know making a push for, you know, I don't think there's anyone in the Sun Belt who's a playoff team. But um, you know, once the once the playoff expands to twelve, you know, you're going to get. Sunbelt guys knocking on the door year in and year out if they keep it up, um, you know, and gives the G5 a chance. So, yeah. So, yeah, we'll jump back in. Uh, so, we got Miami, we got Syracuse, we kind of talked about some others, but Boston College, what does Shane Graham think uh, when he thinks of Boston College and any memories or uh, uh, my first collegiate field goal? I, it was a early Saturday game. September 1996. I think we lined up for like a 23-yard field goal maybe, and we took the penalty to back it up five. I I think Coach just felt like I don't want his first kick to be such a sharp angle, which whatever, it would have been fine. But uh, And I just remember like being on a timeout and looking back on the the TV uh, copy of that game. So my holder, Caleb Hurd, also from my high school, also, an a interesting story with the recruiting of him and me together. Um, but we're during a timeout, and, the, and they don't go to a commercial break. They stay, like, on the camera, and they zoom in on me and Caleb. And they're telling the story of how they got Caleb to come to Virginia Tech to hold for me in order for me to come there. And 
they're zoomed in on Caleb's face. Well, they're pronouncing his name Celeb. <laughs> and 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 I think I can't remember the guy's name. Eddie something. I can't remember the ESPN announcer's name, but he's uh, he's making a joke about. So does Caleb uh, have to use Shane's or Celeb? Does Celeb have to use Shane's books or so? So what does he get? Does he just get to be on the football team? And it was just they were just like laughing about the fact that Caleb was there just to be a holder. Mm-hmm. And and then you know we made the kick. But uh, I just remember like how fun it was being in that game because I think we had played Akron the week before and we did not kick any field goals. We actually got out of a nail-biter against uh, Jason Taylor uh, against Akron that year and did not kick any field goals. So my first field goal was against Boston College. And I just remember one of the coaches when I came back to the sideline was like uh, fist-bumping me. He's like, wait a to pop your cherry. And um, <laughs> so that was a fun game. And we won like, I don't know, 30, 38 to nothing maybe, or 38 to not much. It was a lot. I know, I know it wasn't a close game, but um, that was my, that's my memory of, of Boston College. They, they recruited me. Uh, I almost took a uh, official visit there, but I never took it. But um, I never really considered them, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, the, they were a good program. I just wasn't for me. I know 1996 was an election year, and uh, I'm sure Hokie fans were putting Shane and Celeb on their ticket uh, after that one, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about, uh, what about Pittsburgh? Uh, Pittsburgh. So <sighs> we played them in this shithole stadium cut out of the side of a a mountain, I feel like, like it was, uh, I mean, I almost feel like there was a daggone fireplace in the locker room. Like it was this old, old stadium and the turf was hard as a rock. And, um, I think we lost, we lost to them there. And, and, and I just remember like how much that sucked to like lose to them because we felt like we were the better team and just didn't win. And it was, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a, a, a strong feeling for Pittsburgh. Uh, I just know the first time we played them my sophomore year there, we lost and then we played on my senior year. And I think I, I maybe tied a career long hit like a 53 yarder or something in that game. And, um, you know, it wasn't really close. That was the year that we pretty much beat everybody by a lot, except for West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was the week before West Virginia, actually. Not a huge uh, Pittsburgh guy over here, but um, <laughs> I do know that it's we've had some serious issues winning up there. And October 8th, uh, hopefully we can right that ship. Yeah. And uh, we will, uh, we'll conclude it here with UVA. UVA. Okay. Um, oh, geez. Where do I start? Um, oh. <laughs> I wish I had something to drink out of this. In. Yeah, me too. But um, <laughs> I just remember, oh, God, Zima with Jolly Ranchers. Uh, that's what they drank. I don't know. Some weird stuff 
And then I remember the student section wearing khakis and ties and singing uh, like the New Year song or something when they score. I don't know. I just there's things I'd like to say, but it's probably best I don't say. But um, <laughs> I know um, I had a bet when I was playing. There weren't a whole lot of guys that I crossed over with as teammates that, that played at UVA, but I played with Matt Schaub in Houston, and he had to wear my jersey all day long after we beat the crap out of him in 2012. So that was fun. Well, a bet well placed for sure. And I'm sure Matt Schaub has been hearing hearing from you once a year, at least every year. <laughs> but he was also the last UVA quarterback to beat us for like the longest time, in, you know, ever. But um, but that was our, our gentleman's bet was no money. Just I wear your jersey, you wear my jersey, however it plays out. And uh, that was fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, all right. Now let's kind of let's kind of turn it to – Virginia Tech right now. So we'll, we'll talk about the program, high level right now. Uh, by the way, by the way, I'm in no rush, so we have no time limit. Whatever cool. you need. Awesome. So we'll um, we'll talk about tech football from a high level right now, uh, and then we'll jump into a little bit of a game preview, and then we'll wrap it up with both rapid fire and then letters from the lunch pail. Okay. Cool. So. Um, would love to hear, you know, just Shane, I know um, with Coach Pry, Coach Pry was there when you were there. Would love to start it off with that. You know, did you have a relationship with Coach Pry when he was at Virginia Tech in the late 90s? Um, and if so, what was it like? So uh, it was, uh, hey, how you doing? Uh, good game, good job. Th- like, we didn't have a very close relationship. Um, I'm not going to say – I don't want to like sugarcoat it and say we had a great relationship, but there was definitely nothing bad about it. I just didn't have a ton of exposure to him. Uh, you know, I was already shy as a, as a 18 year old freshman, I was shy. I was not very outgoing. So it's not like I was going up to coaches and saying like, Hey, how's How's life? You know, like I, I just mm-hmm. wasn't that guy yet. And I just remember it, I liked him. He was a, he was a good person. Uh, the players liked him when they worked with him and you know, the, the GAs don't get enough credit for how freaking hard they work. I mean, 15, 20 hour days, it's, it's ridiculous. And all while also trying to do some sort of academic endeavor while they're there as well. But, uh, you know, I, I know he worked hard and I know he was good at what he did, obviously, because his, his career springboarded, you know, after that. Um, but the, the really cool thing about him is that when he got the job, he actually uh, reached out to me and offered me a position. Well, at first he said they were interested in offering me a position. Uh, at the time, I was still uh, technically employed by Florida. And University of Florida had fired the head coach, but the new coach coming in had not started replacing staff yet. And it was uh, potential for me to become a coordinator under this coach, the special teams coordinator. So at that time, I couldn't give a hard, you know, like, hey, 
if you if you choose me, I'll do it. I couldn't do that at that time. But he also couldn't say, hey, we're going to hire you if you want it type thing. So a few weeks later, uh, Florida had actually just called me and said, hey, we're going to uh, we're going to just hire the guy that we had from the last staff from where that staff came from. So I knew that that was off the table. And so my wife and I had kind of been settling into a new house we had just bought here in Michigan. And I just was starting to really enjoy like us actually being able to do things together and, and enjoy family time and whatever. And I was like, you know what? I just, I don't know if 15 hour, 20 hour days are, 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 are for me anymore. And you know, if we're going to start a family and we're going to do things, I'm, I'm old to be starting a family as it is. And to really try to get in that level of having a healthy life, a healthy relationship, uh, just a healthy lifestyle in general for, for me, because I'm obsessive. Like when I coached, I spent every ounce of energy on being the best coach I could be. And I did that as a player. I did it as a coach. And now I'm doing it as a business entrepreneur, you know, like trying to run my business, but I don't have to spend the time that I had with coaching because with coaching, I had to answer to other people and I had deadlines and I had things I had to finish by certain times and I had to make sure the practice was set and organized and, and, and everything ran smooth. And no matter how good it was, as soon as that was over, I was on to the next thing and I had to obsess over that. So it was really tough and, and I, and I loved it. But I felt like I needed to be fair to one myself because I, I gained 50 pounds. I was really unhealthy. I wasn't taking care of myself. And obviously, my, my wife and my potential family, future family, and everything else. So I think that just meant more to me. So then Coach Pride calls me and he was like, Hey, I just want to let you know the job is yours if you want it. And I said, Coach, I, I really appreciate it. I promise you I'll do everything I can to help out the program any way I can. I, I'm, I'm all in, except for I can't accept the position as a, as a staff member. And it was actually really hard to do, but I didn't question it. I didn't like hesitate when I said it because I was already set with my commitment to my family. And, you know, I saw him again at the spring game. We had some good conversations. He talked to my wife for a good while. And she was like, man, I wish he could have been your coach when when you were coaching for these other teams because he just seems awesome to work for. And, you know, I know it would have been fine working there, but I, I just know that it meant more to me to to not take a chance with, with a healthy family, healthy relationship. And, you know, we text each other. We've texted this week. We, you know, we, we, we communicate and he's awesome and I'll do anything I can to help the program now. So it's, it's, it's cool to be able to do that because I can promise you when I was coaching for Florida or Michigan state, uh, even central Michigan, it was tough to really like be a diehard Hokie fan because I had to promote the school I was coaching for on Twitter. You know, I was promoting things for University of Florida and Michigan State, and and it was hard. I, I could retweet a hokey tweet, but I really couldn't just dive in and like be all in on it. And that oh man, that would that would eat me. You know, mm. if, if Tech's playing on Thursday night, and you know you got a, you got a game on Saturday, and you're you're watching, but you can't really say anything promote. It's like is there a Shane Graham burner? Uh, account out there 
Um, but why uh, didn't I think of that? <laughs> Shane and a bunch of numbers. Exactly. Shane and a bunch of numbers, no profile picture and four followers. Um, but no, with, uh, with coaching, you know, got to do what you got to do. Got to do what's best for the family and uh, definitely admire that. Um, now we're excited. We're very excited about the direction of this program, but as far as from, you know, your experiences, just even having conversations with coach prior, seeing what he's done, or even just going back to Blacksburg for a spring game or coming back in town for this weekend. Uh, what, what are your general thoughts or feedback about the direction that you think this program is going in? I, I feel very good about it. You know, I, I realize no one is a miracle worker. You know, even if you brought Nick Saban in right now, if they if we hired Nick Saban instead of Coach Pry, I don't think he turns this team around to be what everyone wants it to be from the from the best days we had. It just doesn't happen. And you know, I I don't want to slight the staff that was there before, um, but there's just it's so tough and there's so many advantages that go in other directions because of these other extraneous uh, variables that it's just hard to do. And even, even if, like I said, you bring Nick Saban in, you bring Bill Belichick in, I just don't think it changes overnight. And I know that's the world we live in. Everybody wants to, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a now society. It's a microwave society. Put something in 20 seconds later, it's hot. Um, it just doesn't work that way. And, you know, even if, even if the fans are like, oh, he should have called this play or should have called that play or this coverage or whatever, it, it, it's so easy to say with 2020 hindsight as a fan because you're not in the moment and no one understands what it's like in the moment when you're trying to communicate and relay different things from what other people are seeing with headphones on from a different view and what you're seeing on the field. When you're watching it on TV, it's completely different. And I promise you a lot of the people that are like, oh, we should have done this. And we should have done that. That doesn't mean that would have worked just because what they did do didn't work. So it, it's just I see things as a coach now. I don't see things as a fan. But yet, I'm still a fan, and and yeah, I'm so I couldn't tell you how proud I am to be a Hokie. And I mean, I wouldn't have a whole wall in my house, actually, more than one wall, to be honest with you. But um, all this, if I wasn't proud of it, you know. And when I see things that don't go the way we want them to go, I know that it's not easy to have the success that people want, and the expectations absolutely should be there. There's no reason they shouldn't, but you have to understand how to understand things when you don't have what, get what you want. And, it, you know, it's just like a five-year-old that wants a new toy in a toy aisle. You know what? Sometimes little Johnny just, you don't get the toy and you got to be okay with it. So you can, you know, you can throw a little tantrum for a little bit, but you got to get over it. And I think that's how fans have to be because, Fans just don't know everything that goes into it and don't know how things play out in real time. And everyone seems to think they know better. They know who the better coach hire should be. They know who the better recruit should be. They know who the better starter should be. They know like everything. And and it's just not that easy. And, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm talking down to anyone, but my, the point being is that 
football success with all the talent that's out there, it's really hard to do what you can do at an Alabama and what you can do at a Georgia and these other schools that have different resources. And you can't make things up out of thin air, you know, if, if you just can't do it. And doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means it's not going to be a, an every year thing. Like those schools get so close every year. Uh, I think it's something that we can expect to have happen from time to time. But it's going to be really hard to truly compete year to year with those upper echelon teams because of the resources that they have. And I'm not saying this. I'm being realistic as a coach, even at Florida where we had crazy resources could not compete with the things that those schools could do. And, you know, I just know that you can, you can have things go your way and you can pull a 99 championship season run out, but it's just unrealistic to think that a school can be that way every single year. And I hate saying that because I love the Hokies, but it's really hard to truly believe you can compete for a national championship every single year the way Alabama does. It's just different. Yeah, and I think just understanding, like we talked about earlier, with NIL, with resources, with money, these TV deals, national recruiting, it's never going to be the same as what it was. But we have to enjoy college football for what it is. For Absolutely. The Sun Belt and you have team. to still be competitive – Mm-hmm. And and want to win, and 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 also understand that. Let's say we put some of those strings together. Let's say we put a ninety nine together with with another team that you know gets really close, and another team that gets really close. Yeah, you start to bring in better recruits. You start to get certain things going your way. You start to place yourself to have a chance to be at those levels, but you still got to think about the fundraising and everything else that goes into it, there's still a, just a slight difference in the broadness of the fan base and the amount of money that can come in from that fan base. And, you, you know, you can drive for 25 all you want, but you're not getting people paying million million dollars a year for a box suite. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just different. Yeah, it, it, it totally is. And just got to keep on trucking and, uh, you know, Let's let's win the coastal and let's try to make the playoff when it expands to twelve because that's you know that's kind of where we can retamper our expectations yeah. and now now don't get me wrong team yes don't don't get me wrong now I want to win every damn game and I'm gonna talk shit when we do that but I I'm just I'm just being realistic with knowing how things mm-hmm. are that. Will I be upset when an ODU situation happens? Absolutely. It sucked. I was pissed off the whole night afterwards. I'm out with my family and I'm literally watching on my phone and I'm like, like, you know, and I, it it sucked, but you know, I'm not going to sit there and and, and cry in my milk and, and just, you know, lose my whole life over it. But you know, I tell you what, though, I'm, I'm still going to go to this game next week with very high expectations. And I believe it's good to have high expectations. You just have to have be able to understand and how to handle when things don't always go perfect. Right. Exactly. And getting emotional just means that we care, you know, and we see it. We see it on the Internet uh, every week. Um, 
So let's talk about tech as a, as a 2022 unit, you know, snap judgments after three games, you know, what do you think looks good? What must improve? Uh, what is your general feeling as we head into uh, a challenge here on Thursday? Uh, it, it's, it's been hard for me to truly watch every single play. And I, I can tell you this, while I still try to watch games with a coach mentality, I don't study the games the way I used to. You know, I was so used to, you know, watching a play and rewinding it and playing it and rewinding it and playing it and, re- and, and being able to tell you exactly if someone's toe was pointing the wrong direction on a step and, and, and a technique with blocking someone versus, uh, you know, turning your shoulders too much. Like I, I used to obsess over so many little details that I watch it differently now and I try not to get caught up in that. Even when I do that, my wife still laughs at me because I'm watching TV and I'm watching a game. And I'm like, oh, why did he do that? And I'm, I, I pick out little things or I, I try to explain to the room what just happened before the referees explain it or before the announcers explain it. And it's just – it's still in me. But yet uh, when you're flipping from game to game and you're trying to see all these different games and you're out at a bar and you don't really know what you can watch or you're with other people that want you to put on the Michigan game or the Michigan State game or whatever, uh, it's hard to truly watch every single play of Virginia Tech games. So I don't know that I have a true basis of what's good and bad. Um, you know, obviously you'd like to see a little more explosion on offense, you know, who doesn't want to see that? Um, you know, I feel like for the most part, from what I watched, I felt like this this walk-on kicker, the transfer, I think. Yeah. Um, I think he's done a good job. I, th- I think they had another kid I thought I, th- I heard was pretty good from uh, Rice. I don't know what happened with their competition, but uh, the kid seems to be doing pretty good. Um, you know, obviously you, you want to take away the um, – you know, the errant snap on, you know, the one that went over the holder's head that one time. But uh, I like seeing, I like seeing guys do well. Um, You know, if anything, it's like we're spoiled with the Michael Vicks and the Tyrods and and the guys that could, could just make explosive plays down the field at any moment. And, you know, obviously that's what we'd love to see. That's just, that's just natural. We'd all love to see that. So. Yeah, and, and we got a long way to go on the offense, but uh, I, I think week over week improvement is what we have seen so far. And uh, you know, getting a guy like Keyshawn King healthy for West Virginia is going to be key, you know, to establish the run game. So fired up to see uh, how we uh, how we line up on Thursday. So all right, we're going to do a little bit of rapid fire here. Uh, we're going to do some hokey questions, some NFL questions, and. Uh, maybe a couple uh, coaching questions as well. So in rapid fire, we always, we always joke about rapid fire because it seems like it's, it's never rapid. It's like, all right, you know, a long story, but let's, let's see at least for the first three quarters of this chain. Let's see how rapid we can be. Okay. All right. Okay. I appreciate the warning because I do get long winded sometimes (laughs) and I appreciate you saying that. So thank you. Oh yeah, it's it's like the running Sons of Saturday joke at this point, where you know it's rapid fire, and all of a sudden, you know, we had Taiwan Garbutt on last week, and I know we were talking about like who is his dream uh, 
folks to sit and eat dinner with. And we talked about like 17 different people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, best meal in Blacksburg, past and present. Mm. Um, I loved, I've always loved the farmhouse, but that's not Blacksburg. So I'm going to say I loved Bogan's. I don't know if that's still there or not. I loved Bogan's. Uh, Crab leg, uh, unlimited crab leg night. Oh, so good. And I liked wings at PK's and you know what? I really like poor Billy's. Oh man. RIP. RIP. That's gone. Yeah. RIP. Mm-hmm. That was a huge big Al's and poor Billy's gone. Uh, I think right I, after. Honestly, I, I like big Al's food. They had a bison burger. I loved it. Onion rings. Holy crap. But RIP. <laughs> RIP. Sneaky underrated food at Big yeah. Al's. If you know, you know. There, um, there was a uh, Mike's Burgers or something. That place was top notch too. Oh, RIP. Yeah. Also, I think. Yeah. We're we're uh, we're visiting the Hokey Restaurant graveyard over here. Yeah. Um, favorite Blacksburg watering hole. Uh, two places. RIP Big Al's. Uh. Never went to Tots when I was in school that much because it wasn't really an athlete hangout spot. It was more of a Greek spot. I think it's a big athlete spot now. I'm not too sure. I went there um, when I was there for the spring game, had a blast, but had a few rails, had a big blast. But um, (laughs) so the corner spot, Sharky's now, I think. Yeah. Okay. So before it was Sharky's, Sharky's was right beside of it, but the corner spot used to be called Arnold's. Arnold's or Arthur's or something? Arnold's. And then yeah. it was called Sid's. And then it was called Preston's. And then it was called Sharky's. So it was Sharky's after I left. When I was there, it was called Preston's, I think, like my junior, senior year. But it was Arnold's. And I think even before it was Arnold's, it was called like a Waikai or something like that. But that place was like the hot spot to go to. And as football <laughs> players, you know, we got to kind of go in pretty easy. And uh, it was fun. Love it. Love Sharkies. Lo- love all the bars in Blacksburg. Have a good yeah. time. At, yeah. At yeah. And you know what? Even after I graduated, you know, I, I had some time that I wasn't uh, active in the NFL. That's when I started actually experiencing different bars. I, I honestly, I loved Hokie House. I loved PKs. Those places were all fun, but they were all in a different way. But I feel like the Big Al's and the and the Preston's were kind of like the end of the night. That's where we ended up, type thing. Mm-hmm. What is your uh, What is your favorite Coach Beamer quote? You spent, you know, arguably more time with Coach Beamer than uh, than most. Of uh, of anyone who's gone through Virginia Tech, uh, but what what do you got for us, Coach Beamer? We uh, you know, we had him on the show, I guess uh, not a month ago, a couple of weeks back, and uh, know that you submitted a story for him. But <laughs> as you, as Shane takes a big sip of bourbon, but what you got for us? Um, 
I'll say, I'll say two things. And as a coach, I respect this so much now. But he had a thing when we used to call up practice at the end of practice and everyone took a knee and looked at him. If you didn't have eye contact, he would go, hey, Palsy, go to the shed. And you had to sprint to the, the, the storage shed on the corner, the far corner of the field, which was back then I think we had three fields up on the uh, where the soccer fields are now yeah. or something. Or where uh, – is it McComas? What's the, yeah. the health center? Yeah, by Our like fields, Shifford. Yeah. Yeah, whatever that is. Right right mm-hmm. beside the old field, Rector Fieldhouse. Yeah. So that used to be our, our practice fields. Mm-hmm. So there was this storage shed way back in the corner. And when he called the team up, if you didn't have eye contact, he would send your ass to the shed. And it was the most demoralizing thing. Never happened to me because I wasn't going to screw around and be that guy. But when it happened to somebody, it was like, yeah. <laughs> and then <clears throat> the other thing was, so when we would have when we would kick and have individual kicking period before we would go to the team period, Coach Beamer was my coach. Like he was our special teams coach. Now he would admit, he's like, Shane, I don't know a whole lot about kicking. But it's a little like golf. And I know when I'm in my groove with golf. Right down the middle. I'm in my groove. That's how I want you to be. Right down the middle. <laughs> I think the, um, you know, the Beamer stories are endless. There's a gazillion of them. Yeah, and I, oh, yeah. I, I love, I love hearing folks who know him so closely do the impersonations or do the growl because it's just, it's just such a crack up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I, it was so nice to have such a close relationship with him that, that, that bared fruit way longer than, than my playing days. And, uh, you know, he, he's such a special person, and, and that's why they continue to make him be such a special part of the, the program. And and I'm sure for 200 years will be a special part of that program. Without a doubt. You know, even just like – even like it, it still hasn't hit me sometimes where I'm walking in front of Lane and I see his statue there, and you're just like, well, shoot, you know, he still lives in this town and he probably walks by that statue a couple of times a week. Like it's just, uh, it's, it's a wild phenomenon, yeah. but, uh, yeah, you know, everyone loves coach Beaver. There's, there's oh, never been an approval rating for anyone, uh, anyone like that, man. Um, so great stories there. Um, Shane, what was your favorite win other than West Virginia in your college career? At Tech? Speed, speed round, speed round, rapid fire. Uh, I would say Miami, nineteen ninety six. Uh, I think Keon Carpenter picked off a play like a game saving touchdown or a game saving two point conversion or something. I don't, <coughs> I remember it was something like at the very end that like saved the game and uh, Keon Carpenter called it and actually ran all the way back. So it might've been a touchdown. I can't remember what it was, but playing in Miami that year, you know, it just, it meant a lot because I know a lot of people thought 95 was a fluke when we beat them at mm-hmm. home when we were and two that year. I was a senior in high school visiting that game as a recruit and 
we won that game, and that had a very strong impression on me as a as a seventeen year old recruit, by the way. But uh, everyone thought that was a fluke, and then ninety six rolls around, and we win that game. And I remember winning it in Miami. Uh, it was just such a fun feeling to have. And then to fly home after that game uh, was just it was just fun. You know, it was you know some of my first you know, flying on a big plane type experiences, maybe my third or fourth. I don't remember what game of the year that was. It might have been early, but um, just an overall, like, that experience was pretty awesome to win that game in the Orange Bowl. Not the Orange Bowl Bowl, but the stadium mm-hmm. called the right. Orange Bowl. Yeah, especially after uh, after 95. Undefeated yeah. against Miami is uh, it's pretty impressive. Undefeated. 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 Okay, let's uh, let's turn the page. Favorite NFL win in your career? Man. Okay. So, 2004 was my first NFL game winner. That one was fun. Uh, Sunday night game early in September versus Miami Dolphins, 39-yarder, 36-yarder, right hash, 39-yarder, 38-yarder. Either way, uh, primetime game, first game winning field goal, uh, big moment for me personally. And then if I'm going to give a consolation, which could actually maybe be more important, but it was a game winner in the playoffs when I played for the Saints in 2013, uh, in Philadelphia, I had a game winner uh, to send us to the second round of the playoffs on the last play. So that one was pretty big, too. Next question here. Describe Hokey Twitter in one word. <laughs> oh, man. Uh I'm blanking on all my big words I want to use. Uh, roller coaster. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. That's definitely and and that roller coaster is uh, usually either the highs of a win or the lows of a loss, yeah. and then uh, everything in between. Yeah. Uh, what is a funny recruiting story? that you have from your time on the trail or, you know, things that you might've been involved with in your coaching career? Well, okay. So when I was in high school, um, I actually had a, um, I, I had about 25 offers from division one teams. Virginia tech was the last team I thought I wanted to play for, to be honest with you because I felt like I wanted to get away from home. Mm-hmm. So on any visits, on any, like I was, when I say I was innocent when I was in high school, I mean, I was as innocent as you can be on all levels, <laughs> all levels. So when people tried to give me drinks, I didn't drink. Uh, tried to introduce me to girls, didn't know how to talk to them. <laughs> Um, you name it, I'm telling you, like I was so shy and, and, and just socially awkward 
that you know, when you hear these stories of all oh, these guys go here and all these girls do this and they, they get drunk and they all this stuff like my recruiting visits were so far the other way that it's it's almost like the coaches should have just known to say hey this guy doesn't do any of that so whatever now i will say my trip to virginia tech uh I went out with the guys. Now it was during, it was in December. So they were doing the, uh, they had the team awards banquet, like the Christmas party slash awards banquet for the sugar bowl. And so we were at the old, what was the old uh, on-campus hotel called? Uh, was it like, it wasn't the inner, the university club or. So you had squires and then it was uh, right, right beside squires, like off to the left. I guess the the Graduate Life Center was there like a hotel above. I don't know. Yeah, you're a little behind me. So yeah. <laughs> they, they built like the whole new hotel like out there off the golf course. It's, it's uh-huh. but so it was in this big ballroom there. So my my recruiting visits started with me having like dinner at the farmhouse, you know, and they had like a Shane Graham jersey pinned up onto the wall in my booth, and I sat with Coach Beamer and Coach Grantham. And the other recruits that were in that weekend, like I thought I was big time because Coach Grantham and Coach Beamer were sitting at my table. <laughs> but uh, uh, And then when they put me off with my – I think Brandon Simonis was my host who was a little bit older than me, but he was from uh, uh, Glenver. And I think he's actually related to the Beamer family. He was like cousins with them or something. But – he, tra- he took me to, like, the house where he lived, and he lived with a few of the players, and they were sitting around having a couple beers, contemplating what they were going to do that night. I think we ended up going to Arnold's. And, you know, like, I, I got along, but the guys all were very good about not letting me feel isolated because – I, I wasn't the most social person. So they all were like, oh, so tell me about this. Or So they like, they came to me and asked me to talk. And that was really cool how they did that. Now it was also winter break. So there weren't a lot of students on campus. So it wasn't like I was in Arnold's on a, on a Friday or Saturday night when it's packed and the, the floor's bouncing from people dancing and the music and all that stuff. So that probably helped out. But I just remember of all my of all the things that I did in recruiting, I was the most comfortable with those guys because they made me very comfortable. Now, once I got to college, it's a whole different story <laughs> with a little bit of all that stuff. But um, you know, it, it, as a seventeen-year-old who was extremely naive and extremely innocent and unexposed. Um, they did a really good job of making me feel comfortable. And and that was actually my visit was when I first started thinking like, well, there's something different about this place. Like it, it just made me comfortable. And soon after that, that's when coach Beamer and coach Grantham called Caleb Hurd, my holder in, in, in high school and said, Hey, if you're going to come to Virginia tech as an engineer already, if Shane comes here, you can hold for him. And then Caleb called me, told me that. And I was like, Holy shit. This changes everything. Um, that's when everything really started to go away from Georgia, Penn State, UNC, 
Um, some other schools that, you know, probably had bigger names than Virginia Tech, but it just started making more sense. And when I started finally making my decision by late December of my senior year, uh, it was almost like a no-brainer at that point. So it's, it's funny how you go in just a couple weeks from I would never go to Virginia Tech to I can't imagine not going there, you know, and it, and it changed. And I obviously never regretted any of it from that point going on. <clears throat> but it's funny how in two weeks things change so quickly. It is funny how a lot of people who go to Virginia Tech, you know, it might not be your first choice or just like, how does, how does such a large student body get to this remote, remote location in yeah. Southwest Virginia? Everyone's, everyone has, you know, their own unique story of, of how they yeah. ended up at Virginia Tech, which yeah. is always pretty special. Um, and then the last question here, you know, you coached at Central Michigan, you coached at Michigan State, uh, some SEC ball in Florida. What were some of your favorite road environments to coach in where you, you know, you'd be on the sideline and you just look up and be like, this is pretty cool. I haven't seen anything like this before. This fan base is so engaged. This atmosphere okay. is amazing. So, so you've got Michigan, you got Ohio State, you've got, um, you know, all these different places, Texas A&M, all these places, 100,000 plus. Nothing compares to Penn State. <laughs> Home games at Penn State, I'm telling you, the whole game, every single pom-pom that they hold in the bleachers is going forward at the same time, going backward at the same time. The music is – like they're on cue with the music. Like it is one of the most choreographed, awesome, full-game experiences you'll ever see. And – as much as I think we have the best entrance, hands down, best interest, Clemson whooped his shit. They have a bunch of people yelling when a team runs down a hill. Who gives a shit? Okay. <laughs> Ours is awesome because it's really loud. It's in unison. Everybody's jumping. The music's awesome. The fans keep singing when the music turns off. Cold chills. I watch it probably once a week, every, every all the time. All right. <laughs> I see these other teams are like, oh, no, ours is better. No, nothing is compared to our pregame entrance. But Penn State, the whole game, is top-notch, the best atmosphere I've ever seen or been a part of. And we beat them when I was at Michigan State on the last play uh, touchdown to finish the game. And it was one of the coolest things to be a part of. And – uh, you know, their, their whole like white out and all that stuff. It's just, it's unreal. And, and their stadium is nothing special by any means. I mean, honestly, when I look at Penn state stadium, it looks like an unfinished director set, mm-hmm. but it's a hundred and whatever thousand people. And you feel like the bleachers could crumble at any moment, but it's a hundred and however many thousand people that are loud as hell. And they're super like just almost it's not choreographed, but it's like they are. They're just in unison and it's just it's the whole game. They're just always going and and, like into it. And, you know, that was the thing like at Michigan State. I thought it was cool, but it was nowhere near Virginia Tech's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a 75,000 seat stadium. And, yeah, they filled it most of the time. But 
the band starts playing the fight song every time something exciting happens and everybody quits screaming and yelling and starts going. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, great. Like, there's no excitement. Like, there's there's nothing to it. Whereas Penn State was like, they'd play a song and everybody was jumping and screaming and, and, and pumping their palms and, and, and whatever. It was like just the whole game. It was amazing. It, it, it's, it's the best full game experience I've ever seen. Penn State is far and away, you know, in my top three on my bucket list of where I'd love to see a college football game. And in COVID really screwed us over because that was going to be such a fun home and home. I know they were supposed to come to Lane Stadium in 2020. We were supposed to go up there in 2025. All of a sudden, COVID cancels it. And, you know, between the Penn State series getting canceled, the Wisconsin series getting moved back, the Michigan series getting canceled – you had all these really fun opportunities for Tech to host these big-time Big Ten programs and also go on the road to these programs. And, you know, it's been a huge bummer that the Penn State series hasn't been rescheduled, you know. Um, but I know they got they got Central Michigan this weekend. They're hosting the Chippewas at noon on the – on uh, I guess next – yeah, yeah, this Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I was actually just talking to their coaching staff today. There you go. So – Hopefully we'll get that game back on the uh, back on the books, but I love that uh, that anecdote that you have because um, I, I I thought you were going to say something SEC, so that was a, a little bit of a curveball. I'm telling you, like like Florida is good, like it, it it's actually pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, played Betty. Alabama played Alabama game two came down to a one point game last year mm-hmm. and rocking it was amazing. But Penn State's is better. Mm-hmm. Write that down, Hokey fans. Write that down. I like that take. Yep. All right. So, Shane, we're going to move. Uh, we're going to finish up here with letters from the lunch pail. These are uh, questions submitted from social media and or the old uh, the old text message. Got a few texts today. So that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Shane, uh, Justin Cates says, during the final drive at West Virginia in 99, as Michael Vick was leading one of the greatest drives in school history, what was going through your mind? Were you locked in on your warmups? You know, are you aware of the progress going down the field? What was your process like for a moment like this, or you know, these moments in general? So I, I only kicked in the net in between plays. So I saw the pass to Terrell Parham. I saw the pass to Ricky Hall. Um, I had. I was actually had just finished my kick into the net when Michael came running down the sideline, like right past my right eyeball. And I remember as he's going down, I was like, Oh shit, put my chin strap on. And that's when I knew like it, I could put from here. I think it would have been a 52, 52 yarder, I think, from the original ending of his run. And then he he caught um no, he caught on he caught Terrell Parham, Andre Davis, then he caught Ricky Hall. Or one of those, okay, but he, he I think it was Ricky Hall was the last catch on the 27-yard line, and then we spiked it to stop the clock. But before we got that gain, I had already come out to the sideline. 
And at that point, I'm already at a point where I'm, I'm, I'm really – what's going on in a game is actually my peripheral, and I am looking at the goalpost and just thinking about the ball flying between the goalposts. And that's always been my routine as long as I can remember. I still do it today. I coached Grand Valley State this past weekend, and I'm walking down the field as we're getting in field goal range, and I'm literally sitting there envisioning the ball flying between the goalposts. I'm like, wait a second. I'm not even playing. What am I doing? But uh, the thing that I remember most is when when Michael Vick came running down the sideline was strapping my chin strap up because I knew it was time. And other than that, you know, it's my process was never any different for a game winner than it was for any other kick. Uh, but just being aware of the clock and how much time's left in the game, I knew that it wasn't like a wait for fourth down situation. It was okay. It can be any second now. So at that point, that's when you make sure you're, you're in eye contact with the head coach. And when he gives you the signal, you go out. <laughs> and then, um, so you're going out there. This is a question from Billy Ray. He says, Shane, when you are about to go in and kick, do you like it when people are dapping you up and cheering you on and encouraging you? Or would you rather everyone leave you alone? What was uh, what was your engagement with others? I personally don't care. Uh, I might not remember you if you did. But on the sideline, like I, I like as I'm going onto the field and on the sideline, like, yeah, I'm I'm good with everybody coming up saying, Hey, let's go, man, let's make it, whatever. Like, I'm good with that. Uh going on to the field, I do remember um uh, Terrell Parham was the only person who interacted with me as I came onto the field. And he just kind of ran by me and winked and and put his hand out and we slapped hands and that was the only interaction I had besides me and Caleb. Uh Honestly, it it wouldn't bother me because I'm I'm in a I'm in a process where there's a lot of unconscious routine going on, and I continued that through my pro career. I actually got a lot better at it. So maybe at that time I would have been more aware of people doing things, and maybe that's why I'm more aware that that Terrell Parham gave me five and winked at me when he came onto the field or when he was coming off and I was going on, but. You know, they called a timeout as you were out there. <clears throat> and I just remember, like, Caleb and I always had little inside jokes. <laughs> and when there was a timeout, I think we just kind of laughed and had a little inside joke to each other. It wasn't it wasn't a, uh, like, a super tense, like, feeling. Like, we were very comfortable and, and we're both smiling. We're both enjoying the role that we had. And, you know, I think between Cliff, Caleb, and myself and all the protection and everybody else, everyone executed perfectly. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have, to have made the kick. I think that a lot of that is, is, is not just a testament to how hard all these guys worked, but the priority that Coach Beamer made the work that we did in special teams. You know, we felt like a family unit. And, you know, there's a reason why Beamer Ball still stands today. Absolutely. And, you know, so I'm going to slide over. I'm going to slide – for our YouTube viewers, I'm going to slide over and uh, you can you can check out Shane celebrating uh, making the <laughs> so, kick there and winning the game. So it's funny. That moment, <clears throat> the team had already – so, like, when I made the kick, the first thing I did was 
turn around, I throw this hand up, and I look, and this is the West Virginia sideline, right? So I throw my hand up like this, and then as I turn around, I'm like this right here, and somebody, I don't know if it was Caleb or Nick Sorensen or one of the guys on Protect, I don't know who it is, to be honest with you, picked me up like in a bear hug, like from the waist instead of like at my knees and tried to like lift me up and carry me, right? So it was like a kind of like a half ass on the shoulder type thing. So I'm higher than everybody, but I'm not that high. And I remember like trying to take my chin strap off and take my helmet off and like celebrate. And uh, that's actually the helmet I wore like right back there in the corner. But um, I was like sliding off. I fell off, came down. The whole team's like huddled around because the whole team rushed the field in that moment. So when that moment all ended – I don't want to say ended, but like when, when the whole team is like starting to disperse and, and say what up to the other guys on the other team that, that hung around to like say good game or whatever. And then, you know, like the coaches that all come up to you after the game, that was after all of that. Like we all just hung out in the stadium mm-hmm. and players were going because that corner that you see right there, Hokey fans is the only corner in the stadium with people in it because everybody else left. They were yeah. like, screw this, we're out of here. And the tech fans that were still there, so we all ran down there. Me, Jimmy, and Caleb ran down there and just were celebrating and enjoying the moment with them. And well, I, I might have been the last person in the locker room. I don't know. But <laughs> um, when we got in the locker room now, that was a fun scene, I'll tell you that. Oh, I'm sure. And then um, Doug Bowman said, uh, I know this was, was on Twitter, of the kick, whose excellent call of the Miracle in Morgantown uh, kick does Shane prefer, Sean McDonough or Bill Roth? That's so tough because I love Bill. Um, so Sean's is the one I've heard the most. And because it's the TV copy. Mm-hmm but I love bills and I, I just, I, I think bill just has the perfect voice for announcing games. I, and it's maybe because I just, I heard it so much, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I, I love hearing bill's voice, but, but Sean's and um, was it Sean McDonough and Mike Tarico? I don't know who the other guy was. Might've been Tarico. Um, Maybe, but like that one's the one that's, that stands out because so when I played my NFL career, I had that YouTube clip downloaded into my iPad and I had every time I made a perfect field goal in the NFL, like it was a kick that was right down the middle. I put it into this cutout and part of my, my, my sports performance, mental performance process was to build perfect cutups, and I added on to it my whole career that I would watch the night before games, that I would watch in the hot tub before games, that I would watch after practice, that I would watch before practice. I watched this cut-up so many times. I've seen that kick from the West Virginia game, the TV copy, probably 600 times. Mm-hmm. And it's not because... 
oh, I want to watch my great moment. It's not that. It's because it was a part of my mental preparation right. for, for building in the moment confidence mm-hmm. or the process of knowing that every kick is new, but I have to live in the confidence of knowing I can do this. And when I watch moments that I've done this and I watch it and I consistently build that perpetual like sense of confidence that I know I can succeed, you keep away that like irking thought of what if, what if, what if. So part of sports psychology is is building that in the moment you don't worry about the result. You worry about keeping your confidence high and executing and living in the moment. But part of living in the moment is knowing that you can do it with no doubt. And that is why I watched that clip at the beginning of all my NFL clips that I put together. Now, I maybe only had about 30 to 40 NFL clips on top of that. But I can promise you I watched – it was about a 30 set, about a two-minute clip because it was from that last play of the drive through the timeout because I wanted to remember the feeling of what was the smell in the air from the smoke coming from all the grills that were outside the stadium, how tight I could feel my socks on my leg, uh, all these physical and, and mental sensations that I felt, I relived them over and over and over because it played into the psychology of my confidence. And because that was the biggest moment of my college career and honestly probably played through to be bigger than most of my NFL career, except for towards the end of my career, I I had some emotional moments after my father passed away that I probably hold on to those a little more mm-hmm. to the fact that I continued to play when my dad knew that I was still trying and he passed away. And right after he passed away, I was able to, to make a team and go play like the day after his funeral, like being able to do that to me was really strong. Mm-hmm. But as far as like just euphoric moments, that kick at West Virginia will always be that moment. So that always was was my, uh, you know, it was the, the catalyst for my confidence building routine that I did every week. And that's you know, sports psychology. It it doesn't get more intense than than kicking, you know. Other than like penalty kicks in soccer, are definitely up there, and obviously, you know, um, pitchers and 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 you know batting in baseball or well, any, any skill where it, it truly takes a one person and, and I get it. You've got a snapper, you've got a holder and all that, mm-hmm. but even if all that's perfect, <clears throat> it still comes down to what do you do with your leg and your foot and your body. Mm-hmm. And we see it a million times. The snap hold protection is all perfect. And the kick still goes wide, wide or left. Right now, when the kick gets blocked, when, the snap and the hold aren't perfect, all that kind of stuff. Everyone's like, oh, it's a team sport. It's a team thing. It is. It really is. But as the kicker, you still have to individually perfect what you're doing to make it work. <clears throat> and honestly, that's part of my business. My, part of my bil- business, my mantra is mentality. And in fact, all my handles on my social media are EWS mentality mm-hmm. because it's purely about the mentality you have to have in order to be successful as a specialist. 
And even as a special teams player, football player, all that in general, I, I, I focus on specialists. But when I work with specialists, I, I work with them on the field. I film them. I, we, we do review of their film. We ha- I have a gym in my house where we work out. We train specific specific skill training. But it's the mentality of the sports psychology that I add on to my business that makes me different than all these other guys that are just kicking gurus out there. Mm-hmm. And once you get it, I, I'm sure, you know, the mentality of it being such a, such a pinnacle aspect of your business allows you to get into a much better relationship with the folks that you're coaching rather than some oh, of these other. Absolutely. And, and, and that relationship is, is deeper than just, Oh, I taught them to point their toe and turn their hips and square their shoulders. And, you know, like I coached Evan McPherson, who's the Bengals kicker Mm -hmm. and I'll never take any credit for him being the physical kicker that he is. The only thing I'll ever say is that I prepared him for what he was going to face through every mistake I ever made and every success I ever made in the NFL. He knew about every single one of them. And he knew about anything that I ever prepared for that I never had had happen, but he knew how I prepared for it. And he had a little bit of a head start than a lot of guys did. How much of the, um, how much of the transferable coaching, essentially, you know, most of your, um, or I guess the way I want to phrase this question is how much of your coaching style was a reflection of things that you learned from coach Beamer? Or was, you know, because Coach Beamer wasn't, you know, you said earlier, he wasn't a kicking guy. He didn't know much about kicking, but was he able to instill some things in you that you knew you were able to help out guys like Evan and other folks that you coached along Uh, with? That's tough. Um, Honestly, more of what I got from Coach Beamer and and, and my coaching style was the human aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um. I think the humanity of the way that he coached as a father, you know, was, was, was more of the way I wanted to have those relationships with my players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like all of my players, I never hesitate. Not as soon as I meet them, I don't say, Hey, love you guys, you know, but throughout working with them, I can promise you that within text messages and in person. And even now when I talk to, shit, I've probably talked to 20, 15, 20 of my former players in the last two weeks, uh, specialists, not just other players that were special teams players, but the, the specialists that I worked with on an individual basis, uh, get off the phone. Hey, love you. You know, like that's how I feel with these guys. Mm-hmm. And when we have conversations and we have our last meeting before the game starts, Hey, lo- I love all you guys. I honestly don't care how you perform. I love you no matter what, whether you start, whether you don't start, but let's go out there and have the best game of our lives and let's make each other proud. You know, like that feeling to me is so much more rewarding than, Hey, go kick ass and don't screw up. You know, like that, that's not me Mm -hmm. now when it's in the week and we're coaching and we're working with guys, whether it be guys running down on kickoff to make the tackle the guy kicking the ball um, or, or the guys that are blocking for the returner or the returner, like had relationships with all those guys. And it was, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of tough love in there and you got to put it out, but those are also the same people 
that when that player messages you two weeks later because of something different and they're like, Hey, love you coach. You know, like that's what makes it worth it. And, and when I get to have these relationships with the players that I work with now as a, as a, a private instructor or whatever you want to call it, uh, it's special. You know, you, it, it's a special feeling. So that I feel I got from coach Beamer. I think a lot of the, the X's and O's and, philosophical type things as far as like how to teach the, the, the progressional things of uh, the football mechanics. I probably got more from Darren Simmons as a special teams mm-hmm. coordinator at Cincinnati. Yeah. And there's probably little quirks from other coaches that I had from here and there, you know, I'd say really the only football X and O's I got from coach Beamer truly uh, because I didn't pay attention honestly to the X's and O's as much when I was a player. Cause I just stopped kicking a field goal. That's all I got to do. That's right. it. Jim Kibble kicked off. I kicked field goals. Uh, Jimmy punted and you know, Cliff and Shane Beamer snapped. So I didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. Just kick the ball. All right. But he was very aggressive on punt return, punt block. And that's something that always like, no matter what my opponent was as a coach, I was trying to find at least two different ways to block a punt. And the, the one way that I thought would work the most, I would try to work that into the scheme and I would try to somehow finesse that second way into it. Cause you really can't do more than one punt block scheme in a game. That's mm-hmm. it. You don't have time to, to teach more than that. So I would try to finesse that second best way in there and other than that, you've got a lot of decoys and guys who occupy blocks and all that kind of stuff. It's too much to explain, but it was always trying to be aggressive with blocking a punt and nothing's more rewarding than when you see like the plan you put out there and somebody blocks a punt. It's awesome. And, and I know coach Beamer had that more than any other coach in his tenure. So, uh, you know, even Urban Meyer and all these other coaches are like, well, I went and talked to Coach Beamer because he's the one that taught me that I need to try to block more punts and I need to do this. And, you know, that's just – that's what he's known for, and he mm-hmm. was the master at it. Without a doubt. And, you know, you, you talk about the human aspect and the human aspect of Coach Beamer that you learned and you being able to transfer that into the players that you're coaching – that also opens them up from the mentality aspect. You know, if, if you oh, yeah. know them as a human first, they're going to open up and and help you understand what their mentality is. So, so that's uh, that's definitely a good way to uh, to get into the mind of a specialist. Now, Shane, I know you've uh, you've been talking about it a little bit, but would love to hear a little bit more about your company, your entrepreneurship, what you got going on with coaching and instructing, because um, I'm sure that people want to hear what's going on there. Yeah. So. <clears throat> So basically, it, it, it's it's easy to explain that I'll do private lessons, one-on-ones, things like that. That's the easy part of it, and it's easy to logistically put that together. Uh, my wife and I actually joke we call it a, like a kicking bed and breakfast because we have kind of an all-inclusive type deal where <clears throat> you come stay at the house, you get fed. I've got a weight room with – Who's food. cooking? What's that? Who's cooking? Uh, I do the steak. My wife does everything else. <laughs> there you but, go. But um, uh, we have a pizza oven, so I'll I'll do the pizzas too. And if we get if we if we go on the, the the flat grill, I do that. But the wife is definitely the chef. I just I'm I'm good at cooking the meats. 
But, um, you know, but, but guys come here, they can bring their wives or significant others, whatever. We take care of them. It, you know, makes it so they don't have to pay for hotels, things like that. <clears throat> but we go on the field. I have like three or four cameras, high definition, slow motion, high frame capture. I got an office with multiple screens, big screens and stuff that we review it on. Uh, I've got a gym back here that has everything you can use as a kicker. Uh, to make you better skill-specific type training that I learned in my career and even things I've researched beyond my career that most strength coaches just don't have the time to really put into for their football team because your team training is always different than what you need as a specialist. It's just different. So uh, it's an all-inclusive type thing. I do that. But I also have high schools that, that bring me in and I work with all their special teams because now a lot of high school coaches have a lot of resources for special teams. Um, you know, IMG brought me in, who is questionably one of the best high school programs in the nation. Um, there's been a few other teams that don't really want me to say that I've been there, but I've been there. There's some college teams I've worked with. There's actually some pro teams that I've had some consultation with, but I also work with players that are looking to get drafted or once they've gotten drafted or signed as a free agent that need to learn special team skills as a tight end, as a linebacker, as a running back, a wide receiver. What skills are they going to have to use to make that NFL roster? And making that NFL roster as an undrafted guy or really fourth round and beyond, you don't have a guaranteed spot on that team. And if you don't contribute as a kickoff coverage guy, as a punt coverage guy, protection guy, a block guy, a, a punt return guy, or a kickoff return guy, like if you don't give yourself that value, then they've already got guys on the team that can do all that. They don't need you. And, you know, the only guys they truly sign to play as a wide receiver, as a running back, as a whatever, is that one, two, three round draft pick. You know, so other than that, you've got to prove your value on special teams and hopefully work your way up the depth chart. And that's where I come in and I work with guys like in the off-season training facilities and stuff. So I, I move around and do some different stuff. And then I partnered with a company that has been established for a while, but he knows the value that I bring and he's brought me in as a partner. And we're going to be a part of some other big things I'm not ready to announce yet, but but those will be coming and they'll be uh, very big. But uh, And there'll be some partnerships with some very big companies like Sports Illustrated and some other companies that'll be involved in that. So I'll let those play out as they may, but I'm not at liberty to discuss everything with that right now. <laughs> we, will, uh, we will be eager to see those dudes come out. We're fired up for the EWS mentality and all to come. Uh, out of that, Shane. And we're going to wrap up here with two final questions. Oh, look at that. Toby's got the the Bud Light chew toy in the frame. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, pup-like. Yeah, enjoy responsibly, Toby. So, um, <laughs> Shane, Thursday night, we're going we're gonna to start it off with a score prediction. Thursday night, West Virginia is a three-point favorite, opened up as a two-point favorite. We are now three-point dogs on Thursday night. I don't believe that. Shit. Yeah, I don't believe it in either. Shane, give me a uh, give me a score prediction for Thursday night's game. Twenty <clears throat> seventeen 
us. Two touchdowns, two field goals versus two touchdowns, one field goal. Okay. 2017. So down to the wire. Going to play some good defense. Going to make our field goals. Uh, Going to play disciplined football, not turn it over, and uh, and leave Lane Stadium with a win. You know, all, yep. I, all I wanted was to be 3-1 and one at the end of September. So uh, that would be perfect. Yeah. And I, then, I, I, uh, think, I think the fan in me – Wants to see it be about a a ten to fourteen point win, but the football lover in me, as a coach, wants to see it be tight so you can like see the chaos of all that. <laughs> and there's nothing like beating a rival by a score or less, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. so that's going to be exciting. Seven thirty p.m. kickoff on Thursday night. Shane, when are you getting to town, and what is the first thing that you're going to do when you get to Blacksburg? Uh, first thing I do when I get in town is, uh, I'm some, my mother lives locally, so I'm going to go see her. Uh, shoot Thursday. Ooh, gotta pace myself. Um, (laughs) so probably try to get a couple things done logistically at home because I don't get to come home that often, uh, early, but then I probably come to Blacksburg pretty early and, uh, visit a couple parking lots and then go to the game, maybe parking lot after the game. I don't know that I've got the bars in me after the game because I, I, I do have to figure out some other stuff after that. But um, yeah, definitely I, I get in, you know, mid to late Wednesday, <clears throat> spend some time with my mom and then Thursday morning, it'll be uh Figuring out putting food in my stomach to sustain the rest of the day. There you go. And there maybe some go. beverages. Cold drinks waiting. Uh, we'll throw in one more bonus question for you, Shane. What is your message to Hokie Nation from Shane Graham? Uh, I am extremely grateful for all the support and, and positivity that I've felt over the years. I can tell you that when I was young and I didn't want to go to Virginia tech, I feel so guilty for that because I just, you know, I was young. I felt like I I, I was bigger. I needed to go somewhere bigger. And by the time I realized it and went through my experience there and loved it so much, um, my dog is tripping right now, by the way, I'm sorry. Uh, Um, I just, I'm so grateful for, for the, for the love that I've always felt from Hokie nation. And that's why I'll always give everything I can do to be as supportive and help the program and, and, and the school. I mean, I donated back to the communications department this past year and, you know, I've been, I've been a donor to the athletic department, but just knowing all the support I had from the university, but since I've gotten really active on Twitter, just the love I've found from, from the, the fanfare on Twitter is, has been, it's been addicting to be honest with you. Like it's a great feeling and I don't want to get addicted to that because I don't deserve it to be honest with you, but it's, it's, it's it's very heartwarming to know like the way people care and i just want people to know that i feel the same way and i'm extremely grateful for it 
Well, we are happy that you are a Hokie, Shane Graham. We are fired up that you're going to be back in town this week. And uh, we'll have to cheers cheers to, a, uh, to another season of Hokie football around those parking lots here on Thursday. But Shane Graham, appreciate you joining the Sons of Saturday. Always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, we'll have to see you this week. Go Hokies. To wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you dance like you want to in my head. And all that she said is, Oh, I know just what you're thinking. to you.